The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Well, it's so good to see you here today. If you are our guest here today, my name is Roby. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, wherever you're coming from in your background, wherever you're at in your journey with God, in your spiritual journey, we're just glad that you are here joining us. And you've come uh, on a great Sunday. We are in a series, uh, part two of our series, You Belong Here and talking about what this dynamic is of us being as a, as a church being a family here together. So we're talking about that. And I want to just jump right into that and start off by sharing a story that I heard this week. Our administrator, Michael, was sharing the story with me, and it just it so blew my mind that I've got to share the story with you. It's a story of a guy by the name of Rodriguez. He went just by the name Rodriguez. And he lived in the inner city of Detroit. He was a construction site laborer. He did hard labor all his life. And in the early 70s, he, in addition to being a laborer, he also, he he had a guitar, he played guitar, he wrote songs, and he would play at these little hole-in-the-wall bars and clubs at night. In fact, he was so, he was kind of this mysterious figure. Some people just thought he was kind of homeless. He was kind of this wanderer, but he had this richness to his song lyrics. In fact, uh, he was so kind of tentative that sometimes he'd play with his back to the crowd because he, he just didn't want all the attention on him, but he'd play these songs. And Detroit being kind of a, a rock and roll center, there were people that were in the music industry and they caught wind of this local singer-songwriter. And so they went into these, uh, this club one night to hear him, and they heard him, and they were really struck, like, man, this guy's got it. I mean, he just, he, he's got that sound, he's got that depth in the songwriting, and so they approached him and offered to help produce right, doing a record some, for, with some of his original songs. So they went in the studios, again, this is the early 70s, they go in the studio, they record this first record, and they release it, they eventually record a second record, and they release it, and they say it was just a monumental flop. In fact, some of the the people that represented him said, like kind of jokingly said, he might have sold literally six copies of his records. I mean, just didn't go anywhere. And the people were around him were like, man, this is kind of, an, I don't understand why. I mean, he's really got it. So Rodriguez goes on with the rest of his life. He continues to live in inner city Detroit, work there, does hard labor the rest of his life. And about 25 years later, this is in the late 90s, one of his adult daughters said, hey, you need to call this person. Someone's looking for you. And he looks at the number, it's a long distance number, and he calls it. And the voice on the other side, it's got a South African accent. And he's called all the way long distance to some stranger in South Africa. And the guy on the other end says, is this uh, Rodriguez? And he says, yeah. He says, like, like the Rodriguez? He says, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, he says, did, did you write such and such song in, in this album? He's like, Yes. And he begins to explain, the stranger begins to explain to him that some point in the mid-70s, one of the few Americans that had gotten a hold of his record brought it with them to South Africa. 
listened to it with their friends. They all started making copies and passing it around. And then a South African label picked up the record and started distributing it. And it started spreading like wildfire and sold hundreds of thousands of copies. And in South Africa, unbeknownst to Rodriguez, he was a music icon. And since they had, no one else in the world had heard of him, they couldn't in South Africa learn anything about this mysterious musician. So there was this urban legend that he had committed suicide. And so when this guy, he can't believe he's talking to the Rodriguez. He says, you're, you're the Rodriguez? You're alive? And he's like, well, yeah. And he says, you don't understand. You are bigger in South Africa than Elvis Presley. He says, would you come to South Africa, and would you play a concert? And he says, okay, I guess. And so he goes from one day working on the job site, doing carpentry or roofing or demolition or whatever he wants, get, whatever he's told to do, gets on an airplane with a couple of his adult daughters. They fly down to South Africa. They get out, the, out of the plane. They get down onto the tarmac. There are limousines and paparazzi there. And they start walking by it, wondering who that's for, what famous person. And they realize that they are there to pick them up. And they said, we were just hoping like 20 people would show up to the concert. And I want to show you, this is actual footage from the late 90s, 1998, Rodriguez's first concert in South Africa. And I want you to put yourself in his shoes when this happens. Check out their reaction. Look at this. All right, now I want you to imagine, okay, for, for the people of South Africa, they can barely believe it's him. I mean, it'd be like telling Americans, Elvis Presley's not really dead, and he's playing at the Bank Atlantic Center, okay, in a couple weeks. They can barely believe it's him. He can barely believe they're here to see him. And, and how does he go from these crazed fans? He plays six sold-out shows in South Africa. He plays for tens of thousands of people, then flies back to Detroit and goes back to work on the job site. But you got to imagine, like, his life was never the same after that, right? Like, think about it like this. Like, his own view of himself had to change a little bit because he discovered there's a whole part of the world that sees him as a rock star, like his own identity, it's like he discovered a deeper level of his own identity. You tracking with me here? What an incredible story. And what struck me about this story is there's a piece of that story that's true for those who are trying to follow Jesus. In this journey of following after Jesus, over time we push in 
to understanding our own identity differently. And it's surprising. It's shocking. It actually makes what this guy Rodriguez went through seem minimal as we push in and understand that how our identity shifts because of Christ and we spend the rest of our life pushing into that and letting that unfold and letting that shape our lives. I want you to check out a passage with me, 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 7. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, open 1 John, open up to chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Here's what it says. I want to read this to you. We're going to read through these first verses. It says this, Beloved, that's what he's calling us, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All right, there's a lot in there, but let me just show you just the the bookends of that section. He starts by calling us, the recipients of this letter, beloved. That's the title he gives, those who are loved. He says, beloved, Let us love one another. And at the end, he kind of repeats that same idea. Beloved, those who are loved, we ought to love one another. But what he fills out in the middle, he reveals that when he's talking about love, the manner of love that he's talking about is not just simply, he's not just saying, hey guys, let's try and be a little nicer to each other. Let's try and be a little more polite to people. He's talking about something so much more profound. He's saying, what I mean by love is something that unless you know God and have been born of God, he says, you couldn't even express this, but if you have been born of God and know God, this will be an outflow of that encounter. This type of love, in other words, is like a family attribute. He describes, he says, this manner of love I'm talking about is a certain kind of love. He says, and there's actually been a picture of it. He says, God demonstrated this love by sending his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. He rose again from the dead so we can spend eternity with God. He says, that is the manifestation of this love. Okay, now let's just stop on that for a second. Let's just try together to just get this into our minds. This is the demonstration of God's love. He looks over this vast universe that he invented. It's not immense to him. It's tiny. It fits in his hand. It's not overwhelmingly powerful. No, he breathes it out of his mouth. I mean, black holes and things like that are nothing for him. He looks at this vast universe and there's this one particular galaxy out of the trillions of galaxies. This one in particular within that galaxy with just the innumerable stars, there's this one star that has these these planets orbiting it. There's this one tiny solar system inside this 
one galaxy. And in this one galaxy with this small star, it's got this tiny, tiny little planet that goes of, of its several planets. But on one of the planets, there's these minuscule little creatures that run on top of that planet called humans. And he looks down on those humans, and the ridiculous thing is that these puny little humans have the audacity to say things like, God, I'm mad at you right now. You're not exactly living up to my standards. God, thank you, but I'm going to just do things my own way. I don't exactly trust your way of doing things. So I'm going to thank you, but I'm going to do things my way. I'm all about me, not about you, God. And he looks down at the selfishness and the pride and the sin in our lives that separate us from a holy God, and he says, I love these tiny little creatures so much. I just, I can't help myself. I love them, okay? Like pushing through the galaxy to get to this little, pushing the universe, get this little galaxy, and then opening up this little galaxy, and there's this little solar system, and there's this planet, and he says, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on to that planet, become one of these little tiny creatures, and show them how much I love them. And he sends Jesus, the Son of God. He's God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. Jesus lives that perfect life that none of us can live. And then of all things, God in the flesh allows the rest of these little creatures to kill him, to mock him, to humiliate him, to torture him. They nail him to a cross, and he came for that purpose to die. He is, is nailed to a cross. Why? Because he is taking all the punishment for all of our sins on himself, and then he rises again from the dead, and he says, I want this, tiny humans, to be a manifestation of my love for you. I mean, just try to grasp with me the level of self-sacrificing love present in this piece of good news, this message of good news that God himself came to earth to die for our sins. That message, the gospel, is this unbelievable, extraordinary expression of self-sacrificing love. And he says, those who have had an encounter with God, they say, wow, Jesus died for me. He's my salvation. He pays for my sins. He says, those who then know God because of Jesus and are born again, they're born of God. He says, we then share the same family trait as our heavenly father. And then we will show as an outflow of that, we will show these, this expression of extraordinary, selfless, self-sacrificing love. He says, we are beloved. It's our identity. We are the ones loved by God. We carry that family trait of love. Now, he says something else. He, he, he goes further in this, and you've got to see what it is that he's saying here. Look at this. Dig in with me. Is the fire alarm going? Should we all evacuate? Are we okay? All right. I think we're okay. It's someone's cell phone. It's your cell phone? Okay. It's everyone's cell phone? Oh. Well, thanks, all of you. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's keep going. As I was saying, we're about to read something mind-blowing in the scripture. Verse 12. Okay. Look at what he says here. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected 
in us. I want you just to see one word in there, the word abide. What does this word abide mean? It comes from the same word like abode. What is abode? It's a place you live. It's something you dwell in. It's, it's like a house or a home. It's a place that you live in. Did you see what he just said? God abides in you if you, are, if you know God and are born of God. Okay, what could that possibly mean that the immense almighty God abides in you? Let, let's keep digging in. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. What it's describing is something unbelievable. He's saying, Christian, when, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you become a Christ follower, he says, this dynamic is happening where God abides in you and you are abiding in God. In other words, the presence of God is dwelling inside of you. You, you couldn't possibly contain the immensity of Almighty God, but a piece of his presence is dwelling inside of you. You know, we sometimes say to children, you know, ask Jesus into your heart. Jesus, does Jesus live in your heart? You know, this phrasing we sometimes use. I'm trying to grasp this idea. Um, this past week, our five-year-old daughter, Rebecca and I, were sitting at the dinner table with our, our kids, and my five-year-old is, is, has asked Jesus into her heart and is, is like exploring this, and she said to us at the dinner table, she says, Mommy and Daddy, when I put my hand on my heart and I listen really closely, I can hear Jesus speaking to me. I said, really? And she says, yeah, he's saying that, that, I, that he died on the cross to pay for our sins. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. And then she says, and he's saying that we should get a dog. <laughs> She's still growing in her spiritual maturity, okay? That is certainly not from Jesus, okay? We had to have a little conversation about that. Okay, we have this dynamic where there is, there's something we're trying to grasp that he dwells inside of us. You ever heard the phrase that, oh, my body is a temple? Have you ever heard someone say that? That's used in all different kinds of senses. A lot of times people use that like regarding like health. Like I've heard someone say, well, I'm not going to have any pizza because my body is a temple, which I don't understand because for me, eating pizza is a very worshipful experience. So i different theology there or something, okay? But that idea is actually from Scripture, and it's saying something far more incredible than simply let's all get in shape and eat better. It's saying your body has become a temple housing the presence of God. Can you just think about that with me? Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Moses getting the, the Ten Commandments, the tablets up on Mount Sinai? And how they, they had to fence off, God warned them, fence off the whole mountain. Because if I'm allowing you, Moses, into the presence of God, but if anyone else wanders up the mountain into the holy presence of God, they are unclean and will be struck dead. When Solomon built the temple, 
Uh, years later, hundreds of years later, the presence of God, he says, I'm going to dwell uniquely in the Holy of Holies. And when they dedicated it, they made these sacrifices before God. It says the presence of God so filled the temple that it filled with almost like this cloud. The priests ran out of the temple for their lives. In Israel, only one person once a year was allowed into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was concentrated. It was the high priest after he'd done all of these cleanliness rituals and still by God's grace, he was allowed into the Holy of Holies. If anyone else came in or on any other day, they would be struck dead. Do you realize what he's saying has happened this side of Christ? The presence of God is dwelling inside of you now. Now, if you're like me, you're like, look, okay, I mean, you don't want to know what goes on inside of here, okay? Like, I, I, my thoughts and my, the intentions of my heart, I mean, it's a dark place. You don't want to get inside here, and you're saying the presence of God is inside of me? That's how radically Jesus, through his work on the cross, has won your forgiveness. Do you see this? He's abiding in you. That is unbelievable because your sins have so thoroughly been forgiven past, present, and future. His grace is so constantly pouring over you. Now, you may say, wow, that's really an inspiring thought. Like, what a beautiful thing. Okay, it's more than just something that's inspiring and beautiful. It's it's got practical implications. Look what he says. Let's keep going. Let's just finish up this passage. Verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now I want you to see this last verse here. I want us all to read this entire verse out loud. Read this out loud with me. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. You've got to read that again out loud with me. Read this. It says this. We love because he first loved us. Did you know what that's not saying? It's not saying, hey, Christian, walk out of here and hang your head and say, okay, God, I'll try to be a little more loving. Because if I can be a little more loving, then you'll love me a little more. Did you notice it didn't say that? Did you notice it doesn't say, hey, Christian, you know, if you are a little more loving Maybe God would answer your prayers a little more. Christian, if you want the blessings of God, if you want him to bless you, then, well, love a little better and God will love you a little more. That's not what it says. This is saying something absolutely opposite of what any other religion or system of thought is saying in the history of man. It's saying this, God first loves you. You are, he's not saying, hey, if you love a little better, maybe you can earn the title beloved. He started off with that. Beloved, tiny creature that God looked down into this solar system and said, you are worth not sparing a single thing for you. I'm going to offer the treasure of the universe, Jesus Christ, for you. I'm going to be God in the flesh, entering into creation, be 
torturously rejected and killed so I can spend eternity with you, wash you clean, dwell inside of you. That's how loved you are. And as an outflow of that, love one another. And then he says this is so important for us to hear. He says, because that kind of love, when you understand the identity he's given you already, it casts out something. Fear. If he's already dwelling inside of you, his presence is already inside of you, then one day when we all stand before God at the judgment and he says, why should I let you inside my presence, inside heaven, into my presence? We'll say, your presence is already inside of me, not because of me, but because of Jesus. So we have no fear, Christian, for the day of judgment. We've already been washed clean, not because of what we've done, because of what Jesus done. And so here's the, here's the key. If we don't have any fear standing before God, who could we possibly have any fear towards? Do you realize what who your identity is? Your beloved you may have been walking around all your life not even realizing the fullness of your identity. Your beloved and your raving fans is not in this world. It's the only audience that matters. It's Almighty God. If you're beloved by Almighty Creator God, there is no other status you could gain in this world that possibly compares. Being a rock star was, is minuscule, pales in comparison to the fact that you are beloved. That is your identity, and that casts out fear. So when you walk into other relationships, I mean, look how this plays out. It's beautiful. So think about your relationships with other people practically. You can live in genuine, vulnerable, authentic relationships with other people. You don't have to wonder, do I need to keep up this facade so that they'll love me and accept me? No, you, you can say, uh, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be honestly who I am, my strengths and my weaknesses. Why? Because I already rest in the fact that I am beloved. I'm loved and accepted by God. That means you can, you can handle those relationships with authenticity and vulnerability. You can handle those relationships with honor and dignity. I'm not going to be self-righteous and look down on someone. Why? Because I need as much grace as they do. I, I, I'm just like they. I, it's just a matter of what Jesus did for me. I'm, I have no great wisdom to, to fix someone. I need God to fix me. I, don't, I handle those relationships with dignity, realizing, do you realize, fellow follower of Christ, who you are? You have the presence of God dwelling in you. How does that not lead me to treat them with incredible dignity and honor? And I can treat those relationships with grace, saying, look, I'm going to give you grace and give you patience because I need grace and I need patience. It's casting out all fear because of who I am standing before God. I am beloved. His presence is dwelling inside me. He abides in me and I abide in him. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna think about this practically. This series is a challenge to enter into a venue where we can practice this family trait. We've created a, we have a venue here at West Pines called Groups 
We have all different types of groups. We have groups for, um, that have men and women in it, um, married and not married. We have groups that are just for women, groups that are just for men. We, most of our groups meet in homes. Some, some have childcare. We have uh, Spanish-speaking groups, English-speaking groups. Some groups are uh, studying subjects like parenting, some like things like marriage. Other groups take what we talk about on the weekend and then just dig into it to make sure we're, we're applying it into our lives, not just hearing it and it goes out the other ear, but we're actually being doers of the things that we're hearing. And so we have all different types of groups and these groups are basically a venue to practice this family attribute of love, to experience and to express this love. And the number one pushback we, we often have towards getting in a group is, oh, I'm just so busy this fall. But that's exactly why we have groups. Because it, it's, if we're not intentional about it, we can go all of our lives and not express this fundamental attribute of love. And so what I want to do is I want to take a couple minutes and dialogue about this in a mini group. So I'm going to invite our mini group to join us out here. Yes, help me welcome our mini group. And I want to just take a look practically at how um, this plays out in a group setting, because this is a very lofty subject of the gospel and our identity and how this plays out in groups. Let me just introduce, uh, most of you know these people up here, but this is Pastor Frank, our discipleship pastor, uh, Angelica Barros, our kids ministry director, it's Justin Chades, our next gen pastor. And so um, let's just toss this idea out. We've been talking about how the perfect love of God, it casts out fear. And so let, let's just start with that idea of fear, and especially when we're talking about a group, let's just toss out this idea, what are fears that we often have when we're thinking about approaching something like groups? Well, I know for myself, um, anytime I go into a new environment, I, I have that fear, I get anxious. And um, each time Jose and I have gone into a new group, you have that wonder if, um, am I gonna know anybody? Um, are we going to make a connection with any of the couples there? I mean, we saw it a couple of weeks ago with our students and with our kids when they went back to school. Um, they were all worried if they were going to have any friends in their class or if anybody was going to like them. So it really is, it boils down to that fear of um, just rejection. And um, we just do a better job at disguising it than our kids. So. <laughs> That's good. That's so good, Angelica. Yeah, and, and the rich thing is that we all have these fears. We, we all have them. I, I remember as a new Christian walking into groups for the first time, wanting to, you know, are, are they going to judge me for, for who I am and, and maybe some of the things I've gone through or maybe me being new. So the fear of being judged, I mean, that's, that's a, a reality that, that we all have to walk mm. through. And these rich environments, we realize that we all need Jesus there. Yeah, that's so good. I, I love your point, Angelica. You know, we have grown up versions of just still fearing rejection, and we have that fear. And then especially in a Christian environment, Frank, you know, I think what you're saying is right on target. A lot of times we just, we fear, am I going to be judged, you know? And, and whether new Christian or even seasoned Christian, we still fear, fear that, like, can I just let out the real me, my strengths and my weaknesses? So I, I think that's right on. We have those kind of fears. So then let's dig into just what this passage is saying and talk about how does then the gospel, this message of what Jesus has done, how does that cast out those fears? Yeah, I think um, in, in my own life and in um, talking to folks, I think one of the challenges we often face is um, we know certain things to be true and we even say we believe certain things in our minds that God has spoken, that he said. And so we'll hear beloved and we'll be like, yeah, I am loved. 
But then in our hearts, there's this other competing voice, this emotion of fear that has sometimes a louder voice than what God says. And so there's this competition and who, whose voice is going to give way, who will have the largest influence on my actions. And unfortunately, fear, you know, in my own life, in, in, in many of us, um, fear is often the voice that ends up winning the day. And we often choose to do or not do certain things because fear has been that ruling motivator. And so uh, it's this, really, it's this battle. Um, some, some of the things that we talk about often around West Pines is we preach the gospel to ourselves. And so yeah. us telling our heart and our emotions, you know, you know, this emotion of fear is incorrect. And what's true about what God has said is correct. And so I'm going to preach at that fear, preach at that emotion that's telling me, oh, you can't go into that environment um, because of what people might say or do, it's just communicating to that, that that's not true, and what God has spoken is true. That's so good. The gospel is such a, a you know, it's such a rich concept, and as Christians, we've got to keep, I love that, keep preaching it to ourselves, and use that to just push out fear. So then let's, let's take that and make it even more practical, then um, how then does that, being com- little groups all around, that all of us know the gospel, how does that then change the shape of that actual group experience, practically speaking? Yeah, and so if the, the gospel, if it's the foundation of our gathering, if we're getting in a group with people who are followers of Jesus and are seeking to grow, then we go with like a foundation of two facts that seem to be at odds with one another, but they're essential to be together. The first is that every single person in that group is not just imperfect, but deeply flawed. Like myself, I am self-centered. I am prideful. I've got these things going on in my heart that God is working on. And so there's this brokenness that we're coming and saying, there's a reason God sent his son into this teeny tiny planet to save these creatures, right? We desperately needed him. So we come with this assumption that we are deeply uh, self-centered people who have brokenness in our hearts. At the same time, the truth that might seem at odds with that is the fact that we are extravagantly loved by God in the most unimaginable way. And so you have this, this, these two truths that we're broken, that we're imperfect and self-centered, but at the same time, more than we could ever dare hope, God loves us extravagantly and has forgiven us thoroughly. And so when we enter into a group environment, we come based on, the, on that assumption mm. that the people in this environment, they, like me, recognize their brokenness, so I don't need to put up a front. I don't need to put up the facade you just spoke about. Instead, I can enter in with this honesty and transparency because I know my, my identity, my, my hope, my, my place in life isn't riding on the fact of what these, pe- what these people think about me. That's already been settled, and so I can open up and be transparent and invite others to do the same. Oh, that's, good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. What else? And then I also want to add that um, when it comes to prayer requests, that's the most vulnerable moment Mm -hmm. of these groups, that instead of asking for prayer for your busy schedules, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just opening up your heart and saying, hey, I'm having a really hard time parenting right now. Mm -hmm. Can you guys be with me? And so just knowing that this is a place where God abides in us, you know, Mm -hmm. realizing that truth and, um, and that we all just need God's saving grace and his unending patience. So we're all just in that same boat. That's good. I, I have such a truth. That's so true about prayer requests. I mean, sometimes we can come together and we can, we, we wonder if we can give our real prayer request. Right. And sometimes we, we just default to our second grade teacher's aunt who stubbed her toe and pray for them. They live in Sheboygan or whatever it is. That happens. And that it could be a real she prayer request. She does sometimes. too need prayer. 
But a lot of times we wonder, can I just say, hey, uh, the thing we're talking about, I'm really struggling. And, you know, can I say, my wife and I, we fought all, our, all the way to community group tonight. You know, can we, can we say that? Or I'm really burdened that these cell phones keep going off in our midst. <laughs> and I'm struggling with anger right now. <laughs> Boiling with anger. No. We will pray um, for your heart, Roby. Please don't judge me. Um, but that is really true. Okay, so um, let's make this practical. If someone's here and like, okay, I need to get, uh, take a step into one of those groups. Um, Frank, tell us how to do that. How to do Fantastic. that practically. Yeah, let's do that. Um, by the way, I love these discussions. We do this more often, Roby, just saying. You got it. Um, yeah, we've got this swanky new website. I think that's the word you use, swanky, right? Uh, go to this website, westpines.org slash groups. Really simple, really easy way, really flexible way to go ahead and get in groups. You can do that right now at westpines.org slash groups. As you go to that page, this is what you're going to see uh, as you scroll down. You'll be able to find right down at the bottom, there's going to be another tab that says uh, pick a group. It's going to say find a group. And all of our group leaders, they're all ready for this. They've all been getting requests already, so they're ready to respond. If you click on that group, uh, find a group, it's going to take you through a list of groups. You see that above, and you hit this little drop-down box. And you see that little gray area there in the middle? It says email leader. Go ahead and do that. Uh, when you click on that, um, in the email body, fill out that information in the email body. Just simply put that you're interested. Now, if you're going to the Trotta group, if you put your bring in cannolis, we'll get a response to you like within the hour. I promise you that. But uh, simply put, just put, I'm interested in that. The group leader knows exactly what that means. They know exactly what to do. They're going to get back to you with information. And this is for you to, to be involved and, and for you to get in these rich environments, as I think we mentioned before, a variety of different kinds of groups between our men's groups, our ladies' groups, our parenting and marriage and, and Spanish groups. We've got a variety, excuse me, a variety for you. And you can certainly click on that and go through there. And you you can do that right now from your phones, or if you'd like, also in the lobby, we've got a tablet set up for you. It'll take you 30 seconds to run through that and get connected yeah. with a group today. Yep, and maybe you're watching online. You can do that right on your computer. If you're here, do that even right now on your phone. You've already got your phone out because it keeps buzzing. It's a sign from the <laughs> Lord. You thought that was an alert. It's God saying, I'm wanting to get you in a group, okay? <laughs> So you can sign up on your phone uh, right now. Hey, help me thank our mini group. Would you help me thank them? Thank you, guys. Okay, so here, here's the challenge in this season. Take advantage of this venue. It's, a, it's an opportunity. You are, designed, you, are, you are designed to express this. Your identity is someone who is beloved. The family trait we have is loving each other. Take a step. Yes, you might have fears, you might have anxiety, maybe from a past experience or, or maybe the fear of, of maybe being rejected, just that, that age-old fear that we have all through our lives. Or maybe you just, you, you say, I don't know, what are they going to accept me? Hey, we're all in the same boat. We're a gospel community. We can have grace for each other and we need grace for ourselves. So the challenge, get in a group, take it, uh, just take that step and sign up for a group. If you, if you just, you're, what you're doing is just asking for more information. You're not signing on the dotted line saying that you'll be there for the rest of your life. You're just asking for more information. So, so take that step today. Now here's how we're gonna, we're gonna close our time together. Because we're talking about how we are a, a family and our, we have a collective identity together of being loved by God, Jesus commanded us to remember this together, to do this together, something called communion. And so we're going to end our time to today 
taking communion. If you're watching online, uh, you'll see a prompt there. This is a time, you're part of our community too. You're part of this family. And so this is the time to get those elements ready because we want you to join in with us as we're taking communion. These two elements is the bread and the juice. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus. The blood represents his shed blood. Jesus taught us these things. And for thousands of years, Christ's followers have been making this proclamation. And it's another way of worshiping. As we eat the bread, as we drink the juice, we are proclaiming that Jesus' sacrifice is what saves us, the ultimate demonstration of love. And so in just a minute, there's stations in the back, there's stations in the front. You're going to come, for, you're going to, come to these aisles, go forward or back, and you're going to get a piece of bread and eat it, get to get the, ju- the juice and drink it and come back and we'll close with a song. Now, here's what I would challenge you. You you may be here saying, look, I I don't know yet where I stand uh, with God. I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus. Or maybe you're you're saying that, you're watching online, you're saying, I'm just not sure that I I believe in Jesus. Then here's what I want to ask you. I'm going to ask you to hold off from taking communion today. Because this is a proclamation that Jesus is your Savior. And that his death is what saves you, his sacrifice and resurrection. But maybe you're here and you're ready to say, look, I, I... want to take that step for the first time today. I want to put my faith in Jesus for the first time today. Here's your first steps. It's to come take communion with us and make that declaration. And if that's you, if you're putting your faith in Jesus for the first time, you're going to notice when you come to any of these stations, there's these plastic cups and there's these wooden cups. The plastic cups are for the rest of us. But if this is your first time you're putting your faith in Jesus, then today take one of those wooden cups as just a token to always remember the day you put your faith in Jesus and found your salvation. Those wooden cups are for you. Take one, take one of those home with you today. As you're preparing your heart to proclaim this, this sacred meal that we celebrate together, I just want to read over you. It's a prayer that Paul had for a church that he wrote to, and I think that, and I know that this prayer extends to us. Listen to this and just hear this as you're preparing your heart to take communion. Listen. He prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Beloved, those extravagantly, extraordinary loved by God, let's proclaim that truth together as a family today. You can begin coming forward or going to the back now. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.